We're back, and a lot has happened in the last week. Uh, Liam, it's been a hell of an eventful week uh, all round. We've had team announcements, we've we've had uh, two games, and rather a lot of happening around there, which we're going to be talking about. And we've had a Springbok team for the penultimate warm-up game before the World Cup. A lot happening. Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's one of those things where we don't actually even know where to start. Uh, it was also difficult to just refine what we're going to talk about uh, during this podcast. So, um, you know, if you're going to try and stick to time, it's going to be a challenge. But yeah, uh, but uh, an awful lot has happened. I mean, the World Cup is now almost upon us and it will only get worse. It's time for To The Last Drop podcast with Liam Delcom and Brandon Nell. <laughs> Well, let's go straight into it. We're not going to waste time today. So straight into it, Springbok selection against Wales. Uh, I think very much what we expected, other than maybe a Faf and Eben, uh pretty much close to their first team. Maybe Dwayne as well, maybe that, and, and Kanan coming in there on the wing. Those are probably the only four real positions I can really see changing before we go into that first game against Scotland. Yes, I mean, Jacques Dinaber did intimate uh, that they would select in these last two games a team that will resemble their their strongest lineup. And this one actually isn't that surprising because uh, if you think of the team that will play the All Blacks, you would think that that would probably be as close to a proper dress rehearsal for the opening game of the World Cup. So the the names you have mentioned, the omissions uh, for Saturday, you know, kind of tallies with that because um, you're sort of, sort of edging your way, as it were, uh, closer to, uh, you know, the best 15 or the best 23. So um, for me, very few surprises. Uh, I think I'm quite excited about the Jean klein um, Erges neyman combination uh, in the second row. Uh, obviously, there's the strong monster connection, you know, that they obviously know each other inside out. So I'm quite excited to see that. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the selections on the wing, a guy like Moody, you know, momentum certainly in his favour, uh, Colby having to shift to the other side, um, and his first actually his first start on the left wing for the spring markets. All the others have been on the right wing, and I think there's one game he started at fullback and a couple of the bench. But this is the first one he's starting uh, as a left wing. Yeah, I, th- I think Conan. I mean, it had to be rewarded after that performance in Buenos Aires. Um, and and Arke, big one for me is because uh, you know with 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 Lurt out, that number five of spot is 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 pretty much open. Uh, we know Marvin Ari can do it. We know that they've entrusted him in a couple of test matches. But um, Arke has always been sort of the bomb squad guy. He is an incredible athlete and yes. has a great engine in that last twenty. But um, it's going to be interesting to see him come there. I'm, I'm sure he can do it. He's an exceptional player. But it's going to be interesting to see how he grabs the opportunity. Yes, uh, there's no doubt that he's that he's capable of doing it. Um, the the slight problem I have with it is, I still think his value in the bomb squad gives the Springboks more. So even if you then it becomes a, a, a debate about how many minutes do you give him? And, and you know, as far as I'm concerned, you can give the guy forty or, or thirty five. Not certainly not anything less than that because um, you want to squeeze every last bit out of him. Yeah, and I think the other big, obviously, one that we haven't mentioned is Sia being back. Um, quite, uh, quite uh, astoundingly, which is a hundred. It'll be 119 days since he tore his ACL. Um, that's remarkable. That four months that the return to play. I need to correct you there slightly. Sorry, it was it was a partial tear because if it was a full one, um, you would be playing. Fair enough. 
I'm not a doctor. I'll, I'll bow to your medical knowledge. Uh, but still, remarkable that he's back on the field in yes. time. And yeah, and, and and we spoke to him on Saturday. He really looked like he was um, quite confident, and yeah, you know, he didn't look like a guy coming back from injury. And the fact that he's starting shows they've obviously got that confidence in him. Yeah, and, and to be fair to him, I mean, he's been confident for for a while now. I mean, we, you know, that's the obvious question whenever you bump into the guy. Um, you know, how are you feeling? Or if you spoke to the to members of the management, uh, yeah, they've always been confident that he would um, uh, make the deadline, and yeah, he's he's good to go. I mean, it's it's now just a question of getting the minutes into him and getting properly match fit. Yeah, and I mean, while we're all going to be concentrating on that, some of the guys who aren't playing there as well. I mean, the, the, it, it becomes you keep one eye on the squad that's playing, and you also keep one eye on the guys who are not playing. Good for a guy like Eben to get a rest. I think he deserves it. He's had a lot of action this year. Um, and then, yeah, there's some guys under pressure. And uh, I know you had a chat, and we're going to listen to it now, to, to uh, Makazole Mapimpi. And he's obviously a guy under threat on multiple fronts, not just from one winger, but from the two Bulls wingers, Kurti and Kanan. Yeah, it's, um, he had a couple of interesting things to say. Uh, and in particular, uh, you know, his role in the squad and how the emergence of some of the younger players, um, you know, tends to, you know, that push them forward. But uh, let's take a listen. Listen, we all go through all social media and my phone every single time I open my phone, afternoon, in the morning, before the training, all of the stuff, I see people talking about me, which is there's nothing wrong. People have a lot of things to say about another people, which is which is something that calls all of the world, so I can't stop that. I mean, people can say whatever they want to say. At the same time, the energy that people, negativities that they give me, so for me, it's very good that I can turn that negativity to the positive mindset. I think I've, I've I said that long time ago, I think 2019, before the World Cup, someone was asking me about how do I keep myself so I always say to the people, I always watch rugby, also I watch City Cup, so I can pick up the few stuff for the young kids that they're doing that I'm not doing. Yeah. So the only thing that I can grow up to see, those young guys that are growing up, you know, they're getting in the team, you know, try to push everything just to get the chases, which is there's nothing wrong. We have to compete at the same time. We're not fighting, but we're just competing as a rugby so to can make the team better. So I'm very, I'm very, I'm very proud of the guys that are becoming up. Um, Grant, uh, Kate, Moody, Jaden, Money, all of the guys that are coming in in the team. I'm very proud of the guys because they're kind of keeping us at the same time to to do better, you know, because they're coming up with good energy, um, good positive uh, mindset at the same time. You're with Brendan Nell and Liam Delcom on the To The Last Drop podcast. Okay, so that's uh, Makasulama Pimpi, and uh, yeah, be his, his views on uh, the World Cup and what what he can bring to the to the squad and the emergence of the young players. Uh, but also on Saturday, Brendan, it's uh, it's an important game, another box uh, for the Springboks to tick because uh, you know a, a win at uh, in in Cardiff uh, brings a bit more momentum. A win next week in London obviously brings a bit more momentum as well. Um, so. It's it's a game where there's a little bit of mixing and matching. Uh, we're nudging closer to the best available or the best possible 23, uh, but you still want to get a win under your belt. Yeah, and I think to to the Cardiff games particularly important um, because I know we know how the Wales games have gone in the past. They all all been arm wrestles, uh, you know, gone down to the gutter, real 
dogfights. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm quite excited uh, in a way to see because I think this Bok team may offer something a little bit different. I don't think they're going to. Uh, while Wales want, probably want to play Warren ball and try and keep the box um, you know, tight, I think there's some chinks in Wales' armour at the moment uh, that they, they can exploit. And if the box get running, um, they can actually score a couple of tries. And obviously, I think you know, it's easier said than done. Uh, but if they do that and they come away with a good win in Cardiff, I think it would be amazing for them in terms of confidence and that just because of the mental challenge that Wales also poses to them. Uh, the, the interesting thing about it is, uh, you know, what, Cardiff has been a bit of a challenge for the Springboks. The last time they played there, they won and that they broke a bit of a, a drought in that game. But to give you an idea of how difficult it's been, uh, Franz Malherbe made his debut there in 2013 um, at the Principality Stadium and he hasn't won there since. So, you know, a guy that's played 60 plus tests. Uh, he didn't play in 2021. Uh, so, yeah, he'd be, he'd be very keen to chalk off uh, a second win in Cardiff. Yeah, and, and just looking at that, I mean, we, we uh, look at, at Wales, obviously, played against England. Um, that game on Saturday, I, I think I saw Martin Gillingham, uh, the commentator, describing it on Twitter as the one game that nobody deserved to win. And um, it was a bizarre yeah. game. It was really a horrible game. And really, if both teams, Wales and England, take that form into the World yeah. Cup, they're going to be coming home very, very quickly. Uh, but the game was, I suppose, overshadowed um, quite a bit uh, by, by another incident. Um, yeah, one that we, we, can't, uh, we can't believe. I think... Uh, I think before we get to it, and I think everyone knows what incident we're talking about—the own Farrell incident. Um, you know, the, the the one thing with that world, with he got off scot free from they downgraded his red card to a yellow card. If you missed the, if you were somewhere under a hole and you missed that, um, but the one thing he has done, he's he's united rugby um, media, rugby pundits, rugby fans across the world, and, and that's no easy feat. Uh, and uh, even the English guys are, are saying it's ludicrous. Um, so Augustine Pichot saying it was a joke. And when you compare it to um, George Moalo with a tip tackle who got 10 weeks um, and Xander Ferguson who got three weeks down to two. Yeah, my whole point is, I'm just going to make one point before I let you answer. The, 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 my whole point is, how do you explain to a player that gets, like Oxen Chair, who gets three weeks for an accidental head clash? That three weeks is the appropriate sentence when a guy like a repeat serial offender like Owen Farrell gets away with murder and gets off scot-free. <laughs> okay, getting away with murder. Yeah. Strong words there, Brendan. But yeah, look, it, it, it is becoming a little bit farcical. Uh, for me, it's quite simple. I mean, they, the explanation was that uh, the Jamie George tackle changed the dynamic of the entire incident in that, you know, then the Welsh player falls into Farrell or whatever. Um, for me, the standout thing is is Farrell's body position. At no point does he uh, present himself as a player that's going to be making a legal tackle. So if the onus is on the, the, the tackler uh, to make a legal tackle um, and you look at that picture, you look at that image, then you have to conclusively say that, no, the guy is not in a position to make that tackle or a legal tackle. And for that, he should be sanctioned. So it's, yeah, a, a, a beggar's belief. But um, this is where we are. And hopefully the World Cup doesn't um, doesn't get afflicted by, by this kind of nonsense. Because, frankly, it, it's very difficult for us as rugby media to explain them to the public. This is how it works when they when it's wildly inconsistent in the way they arrive at some of these uh, decisions. 
I think you being understating when you're saying wildly inconsistent, I think that's the thing that frustrates us all. And I think you're right. Owen Farrell tends to get many rugby fans and many South Africans hot under the collar. We remember Andre Estes and the hit on him that he got away with as well. And the way he celebrated afterwards, I think, made it even worse. Um, but you're right. I mean, there's this whole this whole talk about tackle height in the club game, and which is causing a lot of you know unhappiness around the world and they say you're saying to people in the club game you must tackle waist high but you let this go away and go in the professional game which makes no sense yeah I don't want to dwell on this too long but for me the point is even if you forget what colour jersey he's wearing or for who he's playing what position he plays in uh, what his name is who his father is how many times he's been uh, in the crosshairs of referees or officialdom for similar things even if you take all of that other equation and you just looked at that incident on Saturday, you'd have to arrive at the conclusion that, wow, this, this guy deserves red and possibly a lot more. Yeah, and I think that your point is valid. I think uh, the, the World Rugby's protocols for head contact make it quite clear there's no mitigation if the tackle is not legal in the first place. And I think that's what it comes down to. That's the bottom line. And it's a travesty. It's ludicrous. And, yeah, um, I don't know how World Rugby is going to get themselves out of this hole, but uh, it's totally ridiculous. Yeah, on a brighter note, later that day, France played Scotland in Saint-Étienne, and that was, uh, in terms of spectacle, something at, at least that was worth watching from a, a pure rugby perspective. Uh, don't you agree, Brendan? Yeah, no, I do. I, I, I quite enjoy both teams' attitudes to the game. I mean, they, and France scores some amazing tries from nowhere, and, and that's what makes them so, such fun to watch, especially this France team and the Fabian Galtier. Um, I think Scotland, I thought the game was over when it was 27-13 to France, and um, yeah. I was starting to fall asleep. It was late at night. I had a bit of red wine in. But yeah, suddenly Scotland came back and, and it made it such a, such an exciting into that game. Um, they're going to be a handful at the World Cup. Uh, yeah, they're not going to be easy. And, and I think people, anyone who watched that game can understand why Rossi and Jacques and all of them have been talking about Scotland as their big game and not Ireland. Because if they don't get past Scotland, they're in big trouble. Look, it's obviously a big a box for them to tick. Uh, they they need to win that game uh, to get to Paris and the the game against Ireland, where it doesn't become a uh, a playoff game if they lose, then you know, but effectively out of the tournament. Uh, so, from that perspective, firstly, it's it's important that they win the the opening game in Marseille. Um, if you look at Scotland, if you look at at France, and what we kind of knew about them before Saturday's game, I mean, they they played to script. Uh, Scotland were quite happy to retain possession, take the ball through the phases. They were, I thought they were quite proficient at the ruck again. So they, there was a lot of continuity and phase playing, that, and they, they did very well in that department. That game also showed us that France are quite happy to be without the ball often. They would kick it away, and they would have these moments in the game where they flick a switch, and sp- somebody spots a gap or some space, and off they go. And more very often, actually, they find the space and they score. We saw that in that game. So... Uh, I think they played to type. They it was in that sense a, a fairly predictable game, not necessarily a predictable result, uh, given uh, the lead that France built up uh, sort of early in the second half because they came back after the break and they they flicked that switch and they looked fantastic. And then of course a couple of substitutions and then the the catastrophic injury to uh, Romain Intermac, which is a huge blow to them. 
uh, that also then changed the dynamic of the game. Yeah, I mean, Intermark's a massive blow for them. And I think uh, Cyril Bay as well. I mean, that's that's also the other big one for them as well. But uh, in Intermark, they've at least got Jalibert who can come in as well, who, who is, is pretty much an international quality flower. So I don't think it'd be interesting how it changes their dynamic of their play. Uh, but I, th- I thought also the one part the, the box could probably target Scotland on was their scrum. I thought their scrum was a yeah. bit uh, brittle. And even though there are a couple of South Africans in that, especially on the reserve bench, there was, there was a bit, you know, when they came on, there was, a, there was a couple of wonky scrums. And, yeah, and I think the set pieces the box can do well. But, uh, yeah, they, Scotland are definitely a team that aren't going to go away. They're going to be in your faces the whole time. Yeah. And, and, and uh, yeah, it's the same thing I think we've spoken about before we did this podcast a number of years ago. Um, Scotland are the type of team that you have to almost kill off early. You have to hit them hard and you have to hit them early and sort of yeah. almost take the game away from them because they are a team that lives on hope. And uh, they're much better than the Scottish sides that have played in previous years. And they're very all-round and a lot of South African influence there. Yeah, I've just when you mentioned that, I thought of other matches France played against Scotland where they would also have the initiative early, but they don't put them away and they leave the door ajar and somehow... Scotland find a way back in, um, whether it's through a French red card or a couple of silly errors. But you're right, they don't go away and the box would have to uh, be fairly clinical um, against them and, and sort of squeeze the life out of them. Otherwise, you don't want to get into a sort of a, uh, a fight in the gutters with them. That's not what you want. I think one thing we just have to mention just before we leave the box um, you know, uh, is, is, is the fact that there have been, since we did our podcast last week, a lot of conspiracy theories going around and a lot of talk on, on social media. So much so that Jock had to address it on Saturday and sort of opened his, his press conference with that. And, and I, yeah, I've, I've got to, before I get into it, I'm just going to say the one thing that the box probably did themselves no favors was the way that they spoke about Andre Pollard's injuries. Um, you know, the, the fact that they sort of almost made it sound as if he could come into the squad. Um, but Jock made it very clear that the 33 that, that's there is the 33. And no, unless there's an injury, there's going to be no changes to that squad. That doesn't stop. Andre from obviously returning to fitness, returning to play, and and being ready in case there's an injury. And I think that's the bottom line. But yeah, listen to him, what he said on Saturday to us, and you make up your own mind. I think there's lots of rumors flying around about the squad and about the injured players. And we've got this plot that we take four nines and we're going to get Andre in and stuff like that. And I think, I think one must start and explain it and we'll maybe take some time. Mm-hmm. If, if there's no injuries, guys, they will, this whole 33 will come back. And, and the thing about Andre, Andre is currently not injured, but Andre, uh, in terms of his obvious injury, he trained with us now for two sessions. So he is still on his way back. Over the six years, and I don't want to get too scientific, but I think I'm going to say it, but unless the rumors play. So let's say a player X who plays in a position, fly off, lose forward. We've got six years of data. What he needs to do during a week to give us an opportunity to win on Saturday. And that might be metrics like how many kilometers he's covered, how much high-speed running has he done, high-speed running is above five to six meters per second, how many acceleration and decelerations he needs to perform during a week to get him ready to perform physically on Saturday. And I think uh, if you look at Andre currently, he is probably at about 20, 25%. He's only done two sessions with us. And it's all 
almost like I'm saying, you need to run a comrades in three weeks. But listen, you only start three weeks before that, and you have to perform on that comrades, and you can only train 10 k's a week. Will you make it? You might make it. You might. You might walk and make it. Yes, but it will be, it will be luck. You get, you get what I'm saying. That's why I say Andre is the other two guys are injured. They, they, Luke is injured. He's got an injury, and he is still in the process of recovering from the injury. Then, if he's recovered from the injury, then he'll go into okay, return to play. Andre is recovered from the injury. He's now in return to play. But we can press him now and make him do 100% of. Uh, he's probably doing 20, 25% of what a guy like Marnie or Gaza is currently doing during, during a week, and then they play a test match. He's currently operating at about 25. 30, maybe 50% at most. We can push him to 80, but I promise you, we probably the risk of us then losing him in the next three to four weeks, uh, it, it, it will be 80%, 90%. So it's a numbers game. You're with Liam Delcom and Brendan Nell on the To The Last Drop podcast. So you've got to say, Brendan, uh, yeah, you're right. They, they didn't do themselves any favors uh, with the messaging there. And in fact, even before the squad was announced, I mean, the entire injury, the injury situation uh, was shrouded in mystery for the longest time. And you just got the impression, like, at, at what point did they know this was not going to happen? In other words, he wasn't going to be fit for, uh, for selection and the criteria they set out for selection um, for the for the World Cup squad. So, you know, it was in, in some ways it's their own making. But I mean, people at social media, I mean, people jump to their own conclusions. It's the It's the easiest thing to do. Um, but I, I also thought that the messaging around the injury, um, you know, that could have been dealt with uh, a little bit better. Yeah, and I think I think you know, the whole thing is we always I look at the human cost always. I mean, you know, you, you think the message it sends to somebody like Marnie Lubbock, who's, who's done exceptionally well in his seven tests so far for the Springboks, really hasn't let them down. Has what has one or two kicks that he missed, but uh, overall you can say he was pretty good. Uh, you know, and he's sitting there watching this, and it sounds like the whole country doesn't want him to play. Um, I always feel that for those guys, and people don't care about those things. They yeah, you know, they go on their own tangents, and, and yeah. You know, we, we, we've got to realize that over the last couple of years, Jacques and them have created a lot of depth in the squad in a number of positions. And that's going to be key for them winning the World Cup again, if, they go, if they're going to win the World Cup. And it won't be down to one player. Yeah, but if you think about it, um, while they have, uh, you know, they've built depth in that squad, the one position they probably neglected a bit is probably fly-off because they invested so much in the fact that if Pollard's fit, he's our guy at the World Cup. And whoever plays, you know, uh, in uh, you know against Romania or against Tonga, you know, that's a different matter. But when it comes to the the games that need to be won at all costs at the World Cup, you know, that the expectation has always been that it's that's Andre Pollard would play those games. Um, so in in that sense, also, it's you know probably the problem is there of their making. Uh, however, I'd say that in the last. You said seven games. I mean, Marnie Lebok has, has played as well as you can reasonably expect him to play. Um, and to be fair to him, I mean, if you look at his form for the Stormers, he's been very consistent. He's obviously had a couple of uh, blips against Munster um, last season. But apart from that, he's been consistent. So um, if you if you talk about form um, and, and, and consistent form now, I mean, he, he obviously deserves... Um, you know, to be the starting flower of until proven wrong. I mean, that's that's the way I look at it. Obviously, there's Damien Willemser as well, 
brings a completely different dynamic. But for me, given the pressures of a World Cup, uh, the your most reliable goalkeeper needs to be on the park. Yeah, and no, exactly. And I mean, I think, I think just to your point, they did try. I mean, they did try Johan Kuss and they had Sasha Ngumzulu uh, Feinberg, who also is maybe a bit young to have made this World Cup. But, right. um, but yeah, I mean, they, they've yeah, tried cool. other guys as well. But uh, no one's really stuck their hand up. We've got to be honest. I mean, guy like who else is there in the country? Chris Smith, Kerwin Bosch. These aren't guys, um, I think Jordan Hendricks, if he wasn't injured and he had a full season, might have you know, maybe knocked on that door a bit. Yeah. But other than yeah. that, there hasn't been anybody that um, they really could pick. So you've got to feel for them. And, and times, any coach will tell you this, at times you've got to play the team you have. You don't always get your perfect team with your strongest players, etc., due to injuries and other things. You've got to play with what you have. And I suppose this is where losing... 2020 as a calendar year um, comes into comes into play because if you were going to groom somebody else as a as a reliable backup, that probably would have been the year where you introduced the bloke and sort of put him through his paces. But as yeah. it turned out, we had to play Georgia and then go into a Lions series that were that was very much a must-win series. So the scope for that initially probably wasn't there. Well, the Pretoria guy, I mean, he says Mornay Stain probably could still do it, but uh, yeah, he's he's still. <laughs> I see you shaking your head, Liam. But I reckon, and I think there's probably a couple of people out there that agree with you. Mornay probably still could do it. But yeah, I think now, I mean, we passed that point. It doesn't help holding on to those things. There's no doubt that if you need a kick to be landed, he can do it. There's that, but I have no doubt about it. Yeah. I think the big thing, the, the interesting one, just to, to close off this topic, was would be Elton Yankees. And, and the fact that, uh, you know, Elton has, has been part of the squad. And then obviously last year, all those off-field incidents happened, and he sort of fell out of favour, and then he went to power, and then he's come back as sort of like the fourth fly-off on standby because of Pollard. But when Pollard didn't make the squad, um, he's sort of out, out on it. And I saw our colleague Hendrik Cronier wrote a story that um, Elton believed that it was because of a car accident that he had, etc. I just think the boxer probably lost confidence in him in terms, terms of being in the squad. And, yeah, I mean, he's a guy with... Almost 50 tests, um, he should be able to step in if there's a real emergency, if things go really wrong at this World Cup. But um, it's just interesting how that fall from grace has gone. Yeah, I, I always got the impression that when they when they brought him into the squad, um, you know, what was it, a month and a half ago, whatever it was, um, that he was like that guy that arrives at a party um, and he comes through the door and he looks around and everybody else is having a good time, but he's sort of just hovering at the door. He's not really making himself... A, you know, part of it, and that's kind of we stayed, and then at some point he was like pointed to the door again, and then left. So um, yeah, I think in that sense the the, the ship has sailed uh, for him. Um, it would have to you would have to have a situation where there are you know a, a number of injuries for him to to get back in because I think they will exhaust all the potential in the squad before they turn to him. Yeah, I think the best thing for Elton now, if he if he wants to still be part of the box squad. Um, there's talk of him signing at the Lions again. Uh, that'd be interesting to see how that negotiation goes because he didn't have the best um, relationship with the Lions when he left. 
Um, so, yeah, see, come back to South Africa, play rugby in South Africa, get your name on everyone's lips again, and then you know, make a choice. Yeah, but um, at the end of the day, he's not going to make this World Cup unless, as you say, there's there's some really disastrous injuries, and let's hope there's not for that as well. Uh, that's nothing on Elton. We just hope that the team doesn't uh, obviously suffer all those injuries in the defence of their title. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think that's that's about it for this week. We go, going and we'll talk next week after the Wales Test. Um, and, yeah, a lot of other games happening, going into All Black Week next week. Are you looking forward to that All Black game? Or does it take away from it that it's a, it's a warm-up game? Um, even before we get to that game, I mean, I've, I've now reached the point where I've watched these warm-up games and I'm almost more tense than I would be for, uh, you know, a World Cup game because there's the fear of injury because we've, we've seen a number of guys now go down and it's, 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 it's never good. Um, so, yeah, you kind of like watch the quality of the rugby, but then also you feel for, you know, when a guy stays down and you like, you just hope that it, it, it doesn't turn out bad. But yeah, that all-black game certainly would be one to look forward to. Yeah, I, I must admit, I, I can't wait for the World Cup to start now. I just, I think we must get to that point. I think it's that, yeah, that, that preseason. It almost feels like the preseason before Super Rugby type thing. You just want the games to actually start, the the, the actual tournament. So yeah, and I also, I'm also obviously fearful for injuries for guys. But yeah, that's it, guys. Join us again next week. Um, we'll have much more to chat. And if this week was anything to go by, a bumper packed show again. Thanks for listening. And a reminder, you can find all the To The Last Drop podcasts on the Brendan Nell YouTube channel, iono.fm, Spotify, player.fm, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, and iTunes, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.